Hello, and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today we're joined by David Tim of iMovil Limited, who will be joining our conversation on leadership. We always ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership, and later on, we'll be joined by another guest. However, first, we're joined by David Tim, Chief Executive of iMovil Limited. David, hello. Hi, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What is a leader? Uh, right. Um, what is a leader? That's a good question. Um, I think it's, it's that person that at any given point in time is provides uh, the kind of the um, the direction um, and gets people, you know, following and actually moving in that particular direction. Um, I, I, you know, I, I guess that's probably about when I've seen it work well. That's usually the characteristics of what, what of what's happening. And how do you move your people in that direction? Um, number of things, really. I mean, one is that uh, we, 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 you know, firstly, mine is a very small company, um, but. Yeah, and it depends on everybody doing absolutely the right thing at the right time. And to do that means that people need to be really, really clear on what the overall uh, end point, what the overall goal is. And to an extent, you know, I, I, we, we spend a lot of time actually making sure that everybody's really clear on what the goals are and what the priorities are. Um, so we have things like every week we sit down for an hour uh, we've each got three things which are kind of sacred responsibilities for that particular quarter, and we just give an update on all of those things. You know, highlight any problems that we've got. We've got, um, but that way, yeah. And I've said that everybody knows what everybody's doing, and it, it generally ties towards some kind of like corporate objectives without sounding too grand for a company with a you know relatively small number of people in it. Well, there must be distinct challenges to leading a small team. Uh, you can't just be a, a faceless uh, manager. You have to be in a, almost a, a personal relationship with each one of your employees. How does that work? And is it more stressful than if you were employing more people? Um, I think it's a different form of stress. I mean, you know, we don't have a lot of bandwidth. There's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of um, room for mistakes. Uh, and there's certainly no room for anybody who's looking for peace in a quiet life. Um, so, you know, getting the right people who actually like working in that kind of environment is certainly a challenge. I think I think recruitment's always difficult regardless of the organization, but that's certainly an issue here. And there are some people that really take to the fact that we will, you know, give them a lot of responsibility from the off. Um, and uh, But at the same time, you know, we're, we're pretty tolerant of um, mistakes because mistakes happen to when people who are working under pressure, make sure that the systems are there to catch those mistakes early and we don't persecute people when things go wrong. Um, now, some people love that kind of freedom uh, and other people are really unhappy with it. <laughs> they just they can't get used to it. They prefer mm-hmm. somebody to be micromanaging them. It's, it stays that the, uh, I mean, years ago, before I started this company, I remember going on a, some kind of like management call, training course and there was a concept of situational leadership which was explained to that, you know, what you've got to do is very quickly work out, work out the people that you've got into what quadrant of a, of a four uh, square grid do people fit into. And if you imagine that you've got confidence on one axis and confidence on the other, is that you really need to work out, you know, are they, they um, you know, not confident and not competent, in which case, bad hiring decision, uh, are they confident 
um, but lack the confidence, in which case that's you know another way that you might ever be helping them. Um, are they people who are really, really good, but they just don't have that level of self-belief that, you, that they need? Or are they you know, that rare breed of person who's in that top right quadrant and they're really competent and uh, utterly competent at the right level of competence, competence I should say, in what they're doing? Um, and I think that, you know, generally speaking, we you know we've been either fortunate or, or good in, in attracting people who are in those uh, three quadrants, which are not the not good and not confident, because in the nicest way possible, I mean, people like that can't really survive in a small company because there's just nowhere to hide. Are there any ways of bringing them along? Are there any ways of developing their confidence uh, into uh, into a more compatible uh, structure, or is that just uh, too much time for a small business uh, to invest? No, not at all. I mean, I think it's it's, it's critical because. Uh, you know, without don't want to mention names, but there are people who've um, you know got the really excellent basic skills and you know a, a good, you know, really good instincts, um, but because they've never been encouraged necessarily to use those skills, um, you know, they they just need just a little bit of encouragement. Um, and also that then when mistakes may are made, then it's to just just you know just live with it. Um, so I think you know there's a couple of things I'm. Uh, you know things that we always try to do, which is you know give encouragement, but but not not criticise and not persecute when things go wrong. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's absolutely critical because then if people feel that if, if they mess up on something, it's going to come back to haunt them. They're just going to do the natural thing, which is to do nothing. Well, let's uh, go back uh, to an earlier time. Um, tell me about a leader that you've personally worked with or for uh, when you were starting your career that may have impacted the way in which you lead teams today? Uh, good or bad? Well, either way, uh, something that you've <laughs> learned from. I think, okay, I'll, I'll pick one, a, positive, a very, very positive example, um, which is uh, I worked in my earlier career, I worked for a couple of Silicon Valley uh, startups and um, one of my bosses was kind of uh, given the job of basically setting up a team in the UK and having to do it really, really quickly. Um, and I think that uh, some of the, what I saw he was able to do was basically great level of versatility. So, you know, on the one hand, was perfectly comfortable dealing with the complexities of really complicated, complex software contracts because he was the only guy around. You know, he's the most senior person here, so he just had to do that. But at the same time, of having sufficient technical awareness to actually uh, deal with people on technical matters and come across as credible as also having a you know a degree of kind of um, kind of the charm and presence uh, to represent what was a very small company here but, but uh, representing a much larger company in the US and I guess that it's that level of versatility and to be able to actually do everything and do everything really really quite well um, which I've always felt is you know is, is a good model to work on particularly with a small company because it's not not sufficient to say, I'm going to delegate this, it's somebody else's problem. You've got to be able to do a very, very wide range of things. And, uh, you know, certainly when we started this is that I think I was fortunate because my the degree that I did was the business degree. And that gave you kind of enough to know about, there's enough about law, enough about economics, enough about accounting to get, get you started. And also critically to realize when you're in an area which is completely beyond your comprehension when you need expert help. Um, but, but I mean, you know, the the, the leadership character, characteristics there is, I think, this ability to very, very quickly, you know, establish what 
needed to be done um, and uh, and get it done with the resources that you've got. Um, interestingly, he had a military background, and I have seen this with a few people with a military background. Most recently, my son is a naval officer, and he's got these same instincts, um, which is on a minimum of information, minimum of time, minimum of documentation, work out what needs to be done, and then set a course. Um, and it's, it's obviously, as a father, it's very gratifying to see that, but I've seen other people as well, notably the, the ex-boss I mentioned. Absolutely fantastic. Um, unfortunately, uh, we our time together is quickly drawing to a close. But before you go, I'd like to um, get your thoughts on a much larger subject. If you had to choose objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Greatest leader, living or dead? Oh no! <laughs> it's a difficult <laughs> it's a one. Isn't preparation it? for that one. <laughs> it's a difficult one. I'll take. I'll take. Um, okay, this is in terms of. Pure inspirational ability, and this might come across as a bit fanboyish, but so be it, is I've seen Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. uh, perform in front of 100,000 people and silence 100,000 people with a gesture of his little finger. And the, I don't know how he does it uh, because nobody else can do it. And I've seen lots and lots of performers over the years. But if there's one person who stands out with an ability to to have that that most amazing level of control over large groups of people, it would probably be him. But I don't think you can bottle that. I don't think it's actually useful to anybody else because there's possibly only a handful of people in the history of humanity who've got that capability. Um, but that would be, as you put me on the spot, that would be my answer. Well, there is a reason why he is called the boss. Um, well, oh, yes. on that note, David, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much look forward to working with you again in the future. David, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was David Tim, Chief Executive of iMovil Limited. And now joining us is Jonathan White with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp 
who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time 
maybe overly strict but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team, but in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Well, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed professional uh, 
top quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with, but it won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with. <laughs> well, no, like I, just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates began looking at you for leadership um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really 
struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, in a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it 
that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. 
Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.